I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined by Shira Darone, an infectious disease physician and hospital epidemiologist at Tufts Medical Center. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Darone. Wonderful to be with you. So you recently co-authored a provocative commentary about COVID-19 that has attracted a lot of attention. It talks about launching a campaign of honesty around COVID-19. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, when you look at the numbers um, in terms of COVID vaccination rates in our country, they're low. Um, We have less than half of those over 65 having received their second booster. We have rates in the single digits for children under five. The rate of bivalent booster uptake is around 12%. That tells me something about the degree to which Americans are following CDC guidelines. And you know, we can talk about what that implications of that might be for COVID-19, but I'm much more worried about what the implications of that lack of trust in public health might be for other things that public health does like its recommendations for routine childhood and other vaccinations. And we're already seeing evidence that routine childhood vaccination rates are down and we're seeing outbreaks. We're seeing an outbreak of measles in Ohio. We've seen polio in New York. And so I and my colleague, Monica Gandhi from UCSF got together and we thought, how can we fix this problem? And the solution we came up with is that public health needs to go on a campaign of honesty because they need to restore trust and, and, and we believe that they can do that by being more transparent with the information. So I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but a campaign of honesty sort of suggests that what's transpired before was not totally honest. Um, as I say, I don't wanna put words in your mouth. How would you describe what's come to this point? Well, you know, I hear from a lot of people. I hear from employees in this health system. I hear from patients and I hear from strangers who reach out to me by email or on social media um, because I've, I've been in the media a fair amount. And what I hear again and again and again is I accepted every vaccine that my doctor ever told me to get or my child's doctor ever told me to, to uh, you know, get for them but I no longer trust public health officials. I feel like COVID-19 pulled back the curtain and that they're not being honest. And why do they think that? They think that because they hear messages, they see infographics, they hear things like get the vaccine to protect grandma. And yet what they see in their real life is that all their vaccinated friends and relatives have gotten COVID. And so it doesn't feel to them like the purpose of the vaccine is to protect others. And so even though they may believe that the vaccine protects them, they're hearing things that sound, they're not lies, but they don't sound transparent about the real issue. They hear things like, make sure you vaccinate their child because children are dying of COVID, but they've never met a child that died of COVID. They probably have never met a child that ended up in the hospital with COVID. And so what they're hearing and what they're seeing are not jiving with each other. And and they need to understand why. And there are reasons for that. Um, And that a a campaign that is more transparent 
about some of the realities. The realities being that kids are relatively spared from COVID-19, that hospitalizations and deaths are in fact rare in children, but there are still reasons why you might want to vaccinate your child despite that. Um, that the vaccine has lost its effectiveness at preventing infection um, to a large degree, but there are still reasons to get vaccinated uh, to protect yourself against severe disease, hospitalization, and death. And that we have newer strategies like boosters and a new bivalent vaccine for which we have very little human efficacy data. And yet there might still be reasons why you want to make, get those vaccines. And a transparent approach would be to say, and we're not sure if everyone would benefit from those, say, bivalent boosters, but we definitely think the highest risk might benefit from those bivalent boosters. And, and, here's, and here's why. And I can understand why that's not the message that's coming out, because the, you have to balance simplicity against transparency and a complex message is really hard to put out there. But the fact of the matter is that the science on this is really complex. And to try to oversimplify it comes at the expense of full transparency and honesty. You know, uh, you raise a really good point about, well, a number of good points. Um, but one is sort of a, I'm gonna share a personal experience. You mentioned in your article that for those between 16 and 30, uh, particularly young males, it's a little bit unclear about the risk of getting vaccinated and boosters, if I have this right, because of the risk of myocarditis. And I have to say my experience, and I don't pretend to be an expert at all, but I have, I know people, young men, some of them very good athletes who are in the prime of their health, have had health problems in the wake of getting vaccinated. So I have really concrete examples. My son, who happens to be in that age group, 25, is now very wary uh, because of his own personal experience, very wary of, of getting a booster because he's had COVID and it wasn't a disastrous or a terrible experience. He was sick for a couple of days and then moved on. So he's a pretty good example of, of mistrust or sort of wariness about the message that's coming out. Like, as you said, protect grandma, get vaccinated to do this, but he's sort of saying that doesn't feel right to me. And I think when people hear and see different things, they, they get cautious and they, they don't wanna move. And some of them get outright belligerent about it. Is, is this what you've also found? Yeah, it is. And, and when I talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, I'm able to say that, you know, I've watched every single meeting of the advisory committee on immunization practices. And, and certainly the CDC did weigh myocarditis risk from vaccines against the risk of acquiring COVID. And I fully agreed with their assessment that the risk of uh, having a bad outcome from COVID in that age group is worse than the risk from that initial series of vaccination. But as time has moved on, we now have a situation where essentially almost every person in that age group has had COVID. Um, and we're talking now about what's your risk of um, a bad outcome from COVID having had COVID, having already had the first vaccination series. The, the, the men in the age group of 16 to 30 are, are now being recommended to get their fourth shot. And we don't have those risk benefit analyses 
um, you know, for, for many of them, it's their fourth shot if they've had the booster and now are recommended to get the bivalent. We don't, we certainly don't have a risk benefit analysis that says if you've had three shots, what is the chance that you're going to have a bad outcome from COVID versus what is the chance that you're going to have myocarditis from the, from the fourth dose that you get? Um, and and the, that's the nuance that's different from some of the earlier messages. Things were so much more clear cut in the early days of the vaccine rollout. Most people hadn't had COVID and the vaccine was 95% effective at preventing even infection and therefore transmission. But that risk benefit has completely changed now that everyone has had COVID and the vaccines don't reliably prevent infection and transmission, completely changed. Yeah. So the other issue that you raised about vaccine passports and, and mandates for vaccines at, at schools, colleges, and universities, talk a little bit about that. You, you said that's another thing that doesn't work. Why? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think everyone should be vaccinated, certainly with the primary series. So it's not that I don't want people to be vaccinated. Um, and I thought there was a place for those vaccine mandates and passports, again, in the early period of the vaccine rollout, when those vaccines protected people from infection and transmission, when they made places safer, and when what we were looking at was a, a lot of people who were hesitant, who were then going to get COVID and take up a hospital bed. But again, because things have changed so much, because the vaccines don't prevent infection and transmission, so they don't make a place safer, because it's now rare for most people under the age of 80 to end up in the hospital or die from COVID, the rationale for those mandates or those passports has changed a lot. And, you know, I think any employer, any school can make its own decision, certainly about whether to have a mandate. But I also think that it's causing rifts in society. It's causing anger. It's causing people to further dig their heels in, further uh, mistrust government, public health, CDC, FDA, because now it's become something that they want to fight against. Um, and if you take that need to fight away, again, I think that's, that's an important step towards increasing trust in public health. What kind of reaction or feedback have you gotten to your campaign for honesty? Well, it's been pretty uh, robust. Um, I've had many, many, many comments um, sent my way and they're really quite extreme on both sides. Actually, I would say that certainly a lot of people saying, you know, thank goodness somebody that works in medicine and understands public health is being forthcoming about the things that public health experts should say and be honest about. Some people say, you know, this is it, this is the plan, this should work, you know, CDC, please listen. Some people say, great idea, but not doable. And I, I get that, right? It's not doable for public health officials, for the CDC to be that nuanced because the message would be too long. You can't fit it in an infographic. And then certainly I've had a lot of hate mail saying, you know, the vaccines don't work and they make you magnetic and, you know, they uh, do have microchips and, uh, you know, stop trying to kill people by saying that vaccines are good. <laughs> so, you know, all of those things. Yeah, in the comments that were left attached to your article, it's interesting. There's a wide range of opinion, but it also seems like you've got a big challenge to, to do this because 
people are very mistrustful. Uh, and maybe that's the people that are actually taking the time to say something, which sort of a self-selecting audience, let's say. But it does seem like it would be a long road to, to sort of start to build this measure of trust because, you know, some people are just sort of saying, I've had COVID, I've gone through it. It hasn't been that terrible for me. And I can see why someone who is more at risk might want to take more precautions. But I don't know, there's, there's just a strong tension about, about it. And I, um, I, I, I guess I feel like you've got your work cut out for you. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of responses were, it's too late. There's nothing you could do to restore my trust in U.S. public health officials. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try, that they shouldn't try. And, you know, pe like, that people um, like me and my colleague that wrote the paper shouldn't put our voice out there and hope that some public health officials, you know, hear our idea. I, I consider it catastrophic you know, how extreme it has become, you know, particularly, I'll just reiterate how many people have said, I always accepted vaccination before, and now I never will again. Many, many people have said that to me, so many, I mean, probably hundreds. And that is a disaster, a disaster. If we have made people think that vaccines in general are bad, because of the way we communicated COVID vaccines, we have a serious problem on our hands. You know, one of the comments on your piece raised the question of whether the COVID vaccine is really a vaccine the way most people even think about it. Because the mo most people, I think, again, this is a lay person talking to you, so please correct me, that a vaccine is gonna prevent you from getting that disease to a large degree. And as you pointed out, with the COVID vaccine, that's not the case. So is it? I mean, I, I was struck by that. It, it's not even a vaccine. And, they, and people are trying to sell us on it, that it's a vaccine. I hadn't really heard that before. Um, and I found it really interesting, too. Uh, I saw that. I disagree. All of the vaccines that we have out there that we've ever had have a variable degree of efficacy. You know, the pertussis vaccine, for example, is one I know because my child was fully vaccinated and got pertussis. And so I discovered that it only has 85% effectiveness at preventing pertussis. The flu shot, a good year is about 40% effectiveness at preventing infection. So many of the vaccines that we take, we take A, because they might work. Um, they are more likely than not to work. And B, because even when they don't work, they often do prevent severe disease, hospitalization, and death. And ultimately, if a vaccine renders uh, an infection mild, then it is doing its job. I think we actually, you know, hindsight is 2020, and we can't go back. But I think we actually made, made a mistake way back at the stage where the FDA told the vaccine manufacturer, the COVID vaccine manufacturers, what the outcomes of the trials should be. And we can never reverse that. But way back when you know, we got the, the genetic code for the virus in January of 2020, and the vaccine manufacturers started working on the vaccine. And the FDA told them, we will approve your vaccine if they prevent symptomatic infection with an efficacy rate of 50-50%. And I thought, it's not gonna happen. I really, I really thought it wasn't gonna happen. 
And then we found out it was effective at 95%. And then we started going, okay, wait, well, okay, we, we 95% effective at preventing symptomatic infection. We don't know for sure that it prevents asymptomatic infection. So it could, maybe it doesn't prevent transmission. And I, you know, at that point I said, well, you know, what are the chances that it turns all the symptomatic infections into asymptomatic infections and everyone's still transmitting? I mean, that's not going to happen. And then indeed, study after study showed it prevents asymptomatic and, and symptomatic infection at 90% efficacy compared to being unvaccinated. That was amazing. And then people like me started going around and saying, you essentially can't get COVID if you get vaccinated, take off your masks, enjoy your life. But it was, it didn't last. It didn't last because it wasn't variant proof and it didn't last because immunity wanes pretty quickly, like in a couple of months against infection. And so we ended up in this, on this roller coaster ride of masks on and masks off. And what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to prevent infection or are we trying to prevent severe disease? We never would have created a vaccine in the first place if all it did was cause the kind of mild infections that we're all getting now that we're vaccinated. I wish we had just tried to prevent severe disease in the first place. Had we done that, that would have been the goal of the vaccination program. People would have understood that that's the goal of the vaccination program. They wouldn't be expecting it to prevent all infections. And then maybe even we wouldn't have to keep boosting everybody. We would be focusing on those at highest risk of severe disease which I think is really what we need to do. A last question about proper etiquette in this, in this day and age. You, you mentioned masks on, masks off. Now it's, it's a strange world we live in now. There are some people wearing masks and are adamant about it. The vast majority of people I bump into on the subway and, and in crowded places are not wearing masks. What do you recommend? So, Again, if the goal of everything we're doing here in terms of COVID mitigation, which means vaccines, treatments, and all the non-pharmaceutical interventions like masks is to prevent severe disease, then you should not need to wear a mask if you are vaccinated and boosted or previously infected and not at high risk for severe complication from COVID-19. And mm -hmm. so if there's a lot of COVID out there, the numbers are high and you're you know, over 80 um, or immunocompromised, then yeah, you should be taking extra precautions, including a mask when you go into crowded public places. Um, but if not, you need to do what makes you comfortable. Are you somebody who, you know, in a, in a normal pre-pandemic winter did everything you could do to avoid the flu, including not going to parties and um, wearing a mask perhaps? Um, probably not. Um, and the virus has been defanged by our immunity from vaccination and repeated, repeated vaccination, and repeated infection. Um, the, the actual infection fatality rate for COVID has dropped below that of flu. So when you think about it that way, it can really help you to decide what measures you wanna take to protect yourself against COVID-19. Right. Now you have a very nuanced approach preaching the value of vaccines and, and various steps to reduce the level of infection and, and particularly in people that are particularly vulnerable, but trying to, to trying to sort of balance that against other factors, let's put it that way. Some people have sort of rejoiced that you're saying that at all and sort of saying, I was right all along. You know, these are 
but they sort of jump to the conclusion that you don't put out there that they say, well, vaccines are bad. Some do. You're not saying that at all. Just to be clear, you're not saying that at all. You're saying, well, I won't put words in your mouth. What are you saying? You're saying vaccines are a good thing that we, we should use, but sensibly, right? Immunity has always been our only way through the pandemic. And we were going to get through it, even without vaccines, we were going to get through it with immunity by getting infected. And we would have lost a lot more people had we done it that way. You wanna see the virus first by seeing the vaccine version of the virus, because that is the safest. But with repeated vaccination and infection, we have built as a society an immunity wall that has brought us to a much better place. Make no mistake, my hospital was absolutely full of COVID patients in the year 2020, and they were on ventilators, and we didn't have enough ventilators or beds for them. Um, this is a terrible, terrible virus, uh, but we have come so far, and we've come so far because of, largely because of immunity from vaccination and then infection, much of which has happened after vaccination and therefore has become more um, tolerable and, and, and more survivable for most people. And so if, if people are enthusiastic about what you're telling them, how should they follow you, like-minded people in the field like you? What's the best way for them to get information from folks like you? Well, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, um, certainly I'm always happy to speak to media and I do try to put my uh, opinions out there as clearly as possible. And, and sometimes, you know, the short sound bites are, are not complete. Um, social media is a great way to get information and, and figure out who those like-minded scientists are. Um, you have to be careful um, because some people are actually spreading misinformation. And I, it is really hard to tell these days, really hard to know who's telling you their opinion that's based on science that might differ from somebody else's opinion that's based on the same science versus who's telling you something that's really based on nothing. It's really, really hard. You know, I, um, and, and so certainly people are welcome to follow me on Twitter. I also do a, um, a 30-minute uh, panel discussion every Tuesday morning um, on Facebook Live on NBC10, um, where you know that long format interview like we're doing now can be really, really useful to people who just want more of that, uh, more of that nuance. You know, I, I don't, I don't envy people who aren't experts in the field who are trying to sort through all of the the different opinions. I think that in a future world everybody would have a primary care doctor. And I know that we're not there right now, but I think that COVID has really uncovered that everyone needs a trusted medical professional, someone that they've picked out, that they've vetted, that they know that they can trust, that speaks to them in a way that works for them, that can help them sort through these seemingly never-ended questions of what is my risk and what should I do about it? Dr. Shira Doron of Tufts Medical Center, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It was very informative, very interesting. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thanks. Thanks.